and welcome to No Stupid Answers, Episode 4, the show where a doctor of philosophy, a recovering archaeologist, a professional engineer, and a corporate millennial provide in-depth answers to Reddit's best questions. I'm Colton Wallace, along with some of my favorite podcasters today. Joining me is queen of podcasting, Loria Sava. Hey, y'all. Superstar Jessica Yazarians. Hey. And first time on the podcast, Josh Liezo. Hey, guys. All right. How's everybody doing this week? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah. How are your uh, hands after you fell off your bike last week? My left hand uh, is still bandaged, hurts, uh, but it is slowly getting better. So thank you for asking. We're getting slowly but surely. Awesome. That's great to hear. So uh, something I wanted to tell you guys about that happened to me this last week. Um, I stopped to get coffee one morning on the way to work, and um, it was probably like around 7 a.m., and the person in front of me in line bought my coffee for me. We had like walked in at about the same time. And then this guy, like I held the door, he walked in and then like he turned around and he's like, I got this and then whatever this guy's having too. So then I'm like, oh yeah, I'll take a black coffee. Thanks. And then um, after that, we were standing there waiting for the coffee. And in my head, like while we were waiting for the coffee, I was cynically thinking like, is there like a sales pitch coming? Is this like you know, a religious thing that he wants me to join. But that was my whole thought process the whole time was like kind of being afraid that I was going to have to engage with something because somebody bought me a coffee. And then I would have wished like, well, I wish I just bought my own coffee and I didn't have to deal with this. You just described how every girl feels when a guy buys her a drink in the bar. Oh, well. (laughs) Welcome, Colton. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I, I like also went through other thoughts in my head like, does he think I'm cute? Does he want to look cool for the barista? I, I, and I, I don't know. His name was Brian. Maybe he's a nice guy. Hi, Did Brian. you strike up a conversation like a, after he bought you a coffee? Like, I, obviously you knew his name, but like, did you have a small talk? Did you talk about the weather? What did <laughs> you guys talk about? Well, I kind of felt like I should. Like, so I was like, hey, man. And I was like, thanks for the coffee. What was your name? And that's when he told me his name was Brian. And he said, oh, hey, I worked down the road from here. I'm like, oh, yeah, I worked down the road the other way. And um, that was pretty much the end of our conversation. But uh, Did you just stop there and like stare at your phones? Kind of. I mean, the, our coffees were ready <laughs> soon after that. We, uh, we both just got black coffee. Uh, so, you know, we kind of have something in common. Um, but... Uh, yeah, that was about it. But like, I was like, okay, is he going to like talk to me when we leave here and be like, have you heard the word? And I was like, uh, have you looked out your window recently? Is he stalking you? <laughs> Just kidding. So. <laughs> I'm definitely so. the person that would probably buy somebody coffee. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I, but the, the weird thing is, is I don't know if I would want to look at them when I did it. Like if it's a drive through. <laughs> I could get down yeah. with a drive-through, like get those right. people their coffee or something like that. But the whole standing next to each other thing is kind of a little weird. Yeah, and it like wasn't ever like actually weird. I was just thinking up all the possibilities in my head while we were standing there. You were just so, trying to figure out his motivation, right? Or like exactly, yeah. what what is his motive behind this? And yeah, I, I would have been so. just like, oh, he's having a good day and you were like he's gonna kill me (laughs) (laughs) um so kind of along the same line so this was at some kind of some like birthday party or something and um it was with like my somebody who knew my mom i don't remember but i was standing at the bar with one of my mom's longtime friends who i had known kind of growing up and i was standing like oh hey let me buy you a beer and she turns to me and she's like, no, no, I don't want anybody to start saying things. And I got rejected from buying her a drink. And like, I, it was totally awkward for me. I was like, oh, um, okay. She was like standing in line to get a beer. So I was like, oh, let me buy a drink for you. You know, it's just somebody I knew. I was trying to be nice. So I don't know if it's like a different thing for like, an older generation than me, but like I buy my friends drinks all the time. But um, yeah, so that was a another awkward buying a drink situation where I was on the other side. If I have a sip of alcohol, I will definitely buy random people drinks. 
I have been known to buy rounds of drinks when I should not be doing so. So I am always for the generosity, but Mm -hmm. I usually need a little bit of courage to go with it. So coffee shop. And if it's early in the morning, you you don't get a good lorry. So (laughs) I don't know if it would be a really good situation if, uh, I mean, I'd be very grateful, but I don't know if you'd get much small talk out of me in the morning. Yeah. Well, buying drinks is fun, but I guess try to not be a creep. But Do you think Brian was a creep? He seemed like a nice guy. That's all I can say. You're going to see him again, and you should buy him a coffee. Become best friends. Yeah, it's going to be a never-ending cascade of of (laughs) coffee Mm. one-upmanship. You're going to have to go to a new coffee shop. This is an episode of Seinfeld, I'm like sure. I drive out of my way every day to get to a different coffee shop so I don't have to see Brian. Or like co- go there like 10 minutes early every day to make sure you would miss him. And then you just like suddenly you're there at 6 a.m. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move into our questions for the week. Uh, so our first question from Reddit was posted by user my underscore venting underscore account underscore one. And the question is, what is wrong with saying, I'm sorry you feel that way? And furthermore, they go on to say, I have seen people stating that the phrase is insincere, invalidating, or even linked with narcissism. I don't understand, and this is a phrase I have used. No one has ever seemed to be upset by it, but I can't know for certain. I always thought this was validating and considerate. It acknowledges the other person's negative feelings. Can anyone enlighten me on why this is not an ideal thing to say? I definitely feel like it is, um, it is often a good, it's often a phrase that people say with the best of intentions, but I can say for myself that sometimes when people say that to me, it feels like either it could be a scenario where the person is maybe saying you feel this way, but it's really not true and your feelings Mm -hmm. are not valid in that way. Um, but it could also be a, uh, it could also be a, a thing for me after a certain point where um, feelings are uh, not something that somebody else should be necessarily taking responsibility for. And maybe my feelings or, you know, feelings of whoever, maybe my feelings are nobody else's business, I feel like. And I yeah. feel like in that way, it can come off. Um, it can come off as rude or it can come off as insincere in that way. Um I just know that from my personal experience, people have said it to me and I felt like in that moment, people were really not seeing what I was or not really understanding what I was saying or not connecting with it or writing it off. And I feel like that's the, that's the origin for me of where that comes from. Yeah. I mean, I think it always comes off as like a dig anytime I ever hear it. I I would, I would only ever use it as a sarcastic kind of thing where I was trying to be an asshole and I was not sorry about the way someone was feeling. It's definitely not something I would say if I was being genuine. Yeah. I think it I think it depends on the context. Cause if somebody if you're, for example, like in an argument and somebody is using this as a way to just kind of shut down the argument, um, and and like Josh said, to like invalidate your point of view or belittle your feelings, what have you, then I think it's a negative. But I can imagine other scenarios when two people are having like a discussion and maybe it's not like an argument or anything like that but they're expressing you know regret for you know maybe somebody went through something traumatic or like you know they experienced something that was like very negative um and maybe it wasn't this person's fault but they're just trying to like i think i get why the um the user is saying that they don't understand why it's always bad because I can imagine a scenario when it's not invalidating, but I think it just depends on the context of the conversation. Um, don't use it in an argument. Don't use it in like a way that's heated. Um, and if your tone is sarcastic, it's going to read like that. As a note, when you're trying to be a sarcastic asshole, this is a great thing to say. <laughs> this is super enlightening for me. I feel like I use that phrase all the time. Yeah. And I don't think you ever use it in a way that's like you're being a jerk or trying well, to invalidate somebody. I hope it doesn't come off that way. I guess I'll have to <laughs> test it out. But um, I feel like I have tried to figure out like when you are like down or you're not feeling 
I don't know, you have multiple feelings. It's really hard to tell, to be able to say like, oh, I know how you're feeling. You can't say that. I mean, you can't really like, and sometimes you can't relate to those feelings. So sometimes I'll be like, I am like, so sorry you're feeling that way. Like, and like, how can I help? Or I'm here to listen or like, Mm -hmm. I can be a shoulder to kind of talk to. See, but you're already conditioning it with other things. Like so you're yeah, so conditioning it outside of right. the I'm sorry about how you feel. Like it, it, like it's saying I'm sorry, then immediately conditions it as like I'm sorry about the way you feel. So it's it. I feel like it's just backhanded when it's said like that. I think again, it's context because I think what Lori is describing is the context for her and how she expresses that is completely different than the way like you guys are thinking about it but the way she's explaining it to us right now she's further conditioning it to not be just i'm sorry you feel that way right yeah i guess i mean if i was to just be like well i'm sorry you feel that way and then stomp off which i probably have done that as well but (laughs) if i was doing it that way but i have like done some like research around like i don't know just when you have friends or or you are feeling depressed and you don't really know how to explain your feelings. And I've, mm-hmm. what I was reading, I'm, I don't know, but if it's really helpful or not, but it's like trying to acknowledge that your, right. those feelings exist without putting your own feelings into the mix. And that right. phrase feels like an okay way to, to enter into that conversation. But I don't know if I ever do that right. And if I, I mean, you can ask Josh if he, because I probably say that to him all the time, but like, I I like to do that for my friends of uh, acknowledging that I am empathetic towards where they're at, but not necessarily knowing how to feel the feelings that they have. Right. And I think people, what you're describing, Lori, is like, um, like, like, different ways that you would imagine holding space for somebody going through something that's difficult. And like part of that is maybe saying something along this, the lines of this phrase and just kind of giving them some space to talk. Um, and I think that that is really sincere. Josh, do you ever use this phrase? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I think that it can be, I just think that it can be, um, there's a lot of different factors that are going to, uh, determine, you know, like uh, how somebody interprets what you say. And I think that if, uh, in some circumstances, this is probably an appropriate phrase. Um, you know, I could really easily imagine a scenario where, um, somebody just wants somebody else to feel like they, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe this, I guess what I'm getting to is this could be really validating for some people, for other people not, but I can, Mm -hmm. I can just see from my own experience how this could be, um, you know, this could be uh, this could be problem for certain people. Yeah, it can. I can also imagine it being an impasse, like uh, back to this like idea of like two people arguing or anything like that. You know, like this phrase can kind of like lead to a dead end in trying to empathize with each other, where it's um, really just like a closed door to moving forward and a complete impasse and in the argument um and i think that in that way it's like weaponizing this phrase what are what are other phrases that Mm. we should use what else could you say so uh i guess that what i would say would be something along the lines of you know i hear what you're saying and understand um And if you are sorry for, you know, the way they felt, say it's like you did something wrong or you want to like sincerely apologize, that would be the next thing that you'd say, right? So you'd first acknowledge their feelings, you know, like, and then say something like, you know, I'm, I apologize. I'm so sorry for the way that, you know, whatever I did made you feel. But then, and that again might be, something that people can latch on to because if you're being mean about it you could be like oh you know whatever i did like i'm so sorry and that can be a narcissistic right, like, thing like to you say don't understand too. what you did 
Right, yeah. right, yeah. I, I think you have to, in a way, you have to prove your empathy. Right. You it, have to be sincere about yeah. it. And I, how you prove that, I mean, you have to be an empathetic person, I guess, so. Yeah. It's interesting, the term sorry. Like, mm-hmm. the way that you are talking about sorry, it's like kind of flippant, like, oh, I'm sorry about that. But sorry right. can also be a very powerful empathetic word of just like i i'm sorry you're going through this i'm sorry you're feeling that way like um but at the same time sorry is like you're apologizing for something that you haven't really done in some of those circumstances or you're apologizing for something you have done it's just an it's a very loaded word yeah uh so my venting account one i think kind of what we've from what we've discussed here it sounds like it really could be taken either way, depending on how empathetic you are and how you're conditioning this phrase with anything else attached to it. So uh, I think it could really go either way. So it's possible the way you're using it is not necessarily offending people or making them more angry, but it, it can be a dangerous phrase to use depending on what you're doing. Life lessons I'm learning too. <laughs> <laughs> So with that, we'll move on to our next question. This one posted by user Little Piece of Blue. And the question is, what is your go-to food when recovering from being sick? I have had a stomach virus and I'm starting to feel better and actually want to eat something, but I don't want to go overboard. Are there any foods that won't be too much? Can never go wrong with chicken noodle soup. <laughs> That's what I was going to say too. Or my favorite pastina i don't know if you guys know what pastina is Mm-mm. but it's some it's something from my childhood that my mom used to make for me it's a little like um like a pasta product it's tiny little stars so the tiniest little stars that you can imagine um but it's a pasta and you can make a soup out of it you can make like a rice pilaf out of it but it's like Whatever you can do with pasta, you can do with pastina. And interestingly, it's not available in all parts of the country. Like my dad has to send me some um, because where we are in Michigan, I can't find it in stores, but they have it in Florida. So um, it's ran is regional and like randomly in some places and not others. But um, it's something that I have fond memories of, um, you know, just like simple, like soup type of thing with pastina in it. You know, it doesn't even have to have anything else if that's all your stomach can handle. Um, but that is like an, a really like wonderful comfort food. It's palatable. It's easy to make, too. So if you still feel like shit, you can kind of just pour it into some broth and, like, it's ready in, like, five minutes. So, Jessica, I have a hookup for that. (laughs) You do? Wait. Oh, wait. We've talked about. Have we talked about this before? I saw. I went grocery (laughs) shopping at this amazing, um, like, Mexican grocery store in Detroit. I used to always go grocery shopping there. Honeybee, if anybody's out and about. Um, best guac ever um oh, nice. i was randomly shopping one day and i was looking in the pasta section i was like this is the cutest star pasta i've ever seen <laughs> like what is this like where did yeah. it come from i've yeah. never had it before um but i definitely bought it because i thought it was cool and it yeah. would be perfect for soups um so maybe that will be your hookup yeah, and like when we when I say it's tiny stars, it's like each little star shaped pasta is like a dot, like the side size of like like a um, maybe three two or three millimeters, like teeny tiny, like the smallest pasta you've ever seen in your life, like so, maybe the, like a grain of couscous. You would say you'd prefer that when recovering being from sick over some homemade chicken noodle soup. Oh, you could make. A version of chicken Don't, noodle soup. I'm not putting pastina <laughs> in my chicken. I'm putting egg noodles in my chicken noodle soup. So you could make a soup with pastina, but like, um, I think it depends on the sickness, and I think it depends on like if I'm hungover, like I probably want some pastina. If I'm like recovering from like the flu, I might want you know chicken noodle soup. I don't know. I, I feel like number one for me is the classic chicken noodle soup homemade, not the canned chicken noodle soup. I don't really want that, but. Homemade chicken noodle soup with saltine crackers. Mm. If you got the energy to make that, that is 
by far my favorite like recovery from like a cold. I know that's what people eat. That's like so common. But for me, I, I just don't really like soup that much. And so my non-soup alternative is McDonald's. But it's really ah. not fair. I've been conditioned to like McDonald's probably since I was a childhood. So I'm biased. But get those. I like to, I love to get those McChickens. There's just something about all that hot mayonnaise that just makes your stomach <laughs> feel so much better. <laughs> so interesting thing about McDonald's. So my second answer to this question is when I'm coming out of a migraine, my absolute like favorite thing is a cheeseburger, fries and Coca-Cola from McDonald's. Mm. Like it is like my recovery meal from a migraine. Like once I feel like I'm coming out of my migraine, I'm like, OK, I got to go get my uh, <laughs> McDonald's meal. You're like ravenous too. I, yeah. It's it's unbelievable when I have to a migraine, see like the switch. So like I just throw up if I eat. So I can't eat for like maybe depending on the migraine, six to twelve hours, and then like I'm starved after. And all I want is like a Big Mac, fries, and a Coke. This is your moment. Seize the day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for me, after being sick, it is not about a certain food. It is about what sounds good to me. Mm. So. Again, like there's usually certain things that I will gravitate to, like buttered garlic noodles. Love mm. them. Very simple on your stomach. Bread can get down with some bread. Um, but it really well, is what kind dependent. Of any kind of bread. <laughs> if not meta bread, <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> I will take wonder bread to the fanciest sourdough bread to a wheat bread to an all grain multi whatever bread i'll take it all um but it is very much for me a rule of thumb like if it sounds good go for it otherwise like lay low until you feel like something else sounds good mm -hmm. right and for me as a child that was my my mom would always say that exact same to me and i would say well I guess McDonald's sounds good. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, McDonald's always sounds good. So I disagree. <laughs> I, no. I, I disagree also. Wow. I never Although, crave McDonald's ever. I do love McDonald's ice cream. Their uh, ice yes. cream and their iced tea, unsweet iced tea is the best things at McDonald's in my personal humble opinion. You want to know my biggest McDonald's hack? <laughs> it's Tell not really me. a big hack at all. <laughs> but I don't really like McDonald's very much. I am going to be the adult that always buys the, like, the Happy Meal. But mm, what I yeah. have found at some McDonald's is you can ask instead of the toy, you can get an ice cream cone. And the days that they say yes is my happiest moments. That's a great hack, Lori. I don't know what yeah. you're saying. So that is an awesome hack. That's <laughs> no great. toy. Go for the ice cream cone. Wait, which Happy Meal do you get though? I get a cheeseburger Happy Meal. Okay, it's yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sometimes a hamburger Happy Meal, depending on if I want cheese. Right. And then also, you can instead of apple slices, you can get double French fries. So <laughs> I got the hookup. So you're just doubling up the Happy Meal. Yes, I'm making it an adult Happy Meal. Extra French fries and an ice cream cone. Who needs a toy? That sounds great. Who needs that plastic? Definitely not landfills. Get rid of that plastic, even though they're still making it because whatever. God. But um, yeah, my rule of thumb is when you're sick, go for what sounds good. And even if it's something that you normally wouldn't want, splurge. Get it on DoorDash or have your friend bring it over because you've been sick you should treat yourself i have a i have a follow-up question yes um do you guys have any like foods that are like comfort foods so like like rather than just like being sick with the flu or whatever but like what if you've had like a terrible day or like something terrible has happened is there like a comfort food that like you kind of gravitate towards to make your like mood better like i don't know pizza new like... york style pizza ah uh... <laughs> yes colton <laughs> pizza it can be any style when you started asking this question jessica i thought to myself there's no way the answer to this question is going to be mcdonald's but for me it still is mcdonald's <laughs> 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 yeah i would say if i'm looking for like I'd go with a cheeseburger, not a McDonald's <laughs> one, but like, you know. Class it up a bit. Um, yeah. For me, it's like mac and cheese, like really mm -hmm. good, like 
homemade mac and cheese. My mom made the best like baked mac and cheese you ever had. It's so good. Um, and then I also think that like I love it's got to be just carbs. I uh, guess. Comment on mac and cheese. Like as an adult, I need like peas in my mac and cheese. Peas in mac and cheese like, is pretty good. Have, what? I think, yeah. I think that's an unpopular opinion. So that good. like. Oh just my god. Try adding try adding some peas into your mac and cheese. Okay. So good. Why? That's just like a Yeah. That's just like a I don't know. I'm I'm standing on this hill. Fight me. <laughs> I, I, not even worth it. You can have your peas. <laughs> uh, I do think pasta is a good is a good one. Any kind of pasta for me. Spaghetti, mm. like like I said, butter, garlic noodles, like all kinds of pasta mac and cheese would be up there but yeah for sure carbs all right well we've taken this thing to the moon so <laughs> let's move on to the next question we have a question posted by user inmate 5580 and the question is where do people play their nintendo switch and they talk about the portability of the switch and are people actually making use of it and then they go on to make some other comments that are about where do people play it and does anybody pull this out at social gatherings and do you play it on the toilet and then they make fun of people who have gaming parties so uh where do you guys play a nintendo switch i play it anywhere that i that's uh, that i can and that's feasible to do so i mean i i love it, it is it's a revolution for being able to travel with like a console like that you know um i think that I think that the switch is awesome and I do, I do use it more than just going between couch and toilet. <laughs> I don't actually ever play it on the toilet, but I would say playing it in bed alone is enough. Like just having the yeah. ability to play it in bed alone is amazing. Yeah. I play, I play the switch in, in bed almost every night instead of like watching TV. I would rather play legend of Zelda breath of the wild. Um, and I think also, so the, the, Colton kind of alluded to this a little bit, but like I think that the user is making an assumption that like um everybody lives his life. <laughs> well, I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> fair, but like that, you know, they make comments like, um, you know, like if you're an adult, odds are you work a standard nine to five job, etc. And then like, you know, like I, he makes the comment that it usually if you go to a social gathering, pulling out a toy isn't acceptable. And yeah. I would say most of the social gatherings I go to, I would pull out a switch and not feel bad about it. Yeah. And if they had a problem with it, it's not a social gathering I want to be at. And I think that the assumption is that like adults don't play with toys is the, the connotation that I'm getting yeah. from the, the question. But I don't think that users necessarily like belittling it but i think that it could come across that way a little bit and so as a person that never was really into gaming per se like um i guess you know i could see that perspective but like i actually got super into playing switch games during the pandemic and i like think they're the it's the best um i have like probably 500 hours in animal crossing and 500 hours in breath of the wild i don't know at this point and I like absolutely love it. Um, so for me, I think that like it's been interesting to to kind of like get into video games as an adult and to kind of see a different aspect of that uh, culture. Because um, I don't wouldn't consider myself like a gamer. As I said, I don't really feel like I fit the the I guess the stereotype per se. But I think it's kind of interesting because. Um, video games aren't just for kids anymore. And I think that that is a cultural change that has occurred over time as like... I think it goes even further. I don't know that they were ever just for kids. That was just the label that was put on them. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that there's any reason like an adult couldn't have played like the Zelda NES or Super Nintendo games. Yeah. And I think it's changing because as people are aging, they're not dropping off of gaming. The average age of people who play video games gets older is just constantly getting older because right. as people get older, they're not stopping playing. So I think this idea that like it's socially not acceptable to play games is dying. Yeah. And yeah. I would fight it if it's not. <laughs> I'm not a big gamer. Uh, I, I do have a switch. Um, and I, 
<laughs> don't really use it. Josh uses it. Um, <laughs> but I honestly, I like to travel a lot and it's a really nice thing to have for an airport, for an yeah. airplane. Also, like, um, we, I've like meet up with friends and places and things like that where we get an Airbnb and it's just really great because you can bring such a small thing and hook it up to the TV and have something to do with your family or friends. Um, I've also yeah. like brought it to friends' houses or additional controllers for people's houses um, so that you can play. Uh, so I think that it just offers up a whole nother world of being able to bring gaming to many things rather than just always having to be at home, which is kind of cool. It lets you interact with other places and do other things uh, while also invested in Lori gaming. says this, but I'm the one that's logged about 2000 hours on the console. So <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I can tell you that from my, just from experiential perspective, I definitely have, it definitely is amazing to be able to take a trip, um, you know, get on a plane, go somewhere and to have the handheld console and have all the power of a regular console that you would have to play whatever game. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's great. I want to say my favorite thing is that we have one big TV in our house um, and Josh will be playing the switch on the TV and then I'll want to watch TV. He doesn't have to stop his game. He That's just true. picks up the switch and is able to play that game on the this couch while I'm watching TV, like that is really, it's really, really nice. A, it's really a huge thing that you don't have to just like, you don't have to permanently use uh, one screen. So I think we're all, all happy with the switch and we, I challenge the user to uh, get a little creative, go to a park. Yeah. I wonder how many social events and gatherings this user is actually going to, because, you know, I think that, I Ouch. think that, I just think that most people would be, uh, I mean, I, 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 it's hard for me to imagine a scenario where you'd go to a party and you would have a Nintendo Switch and people would, you know, you would get poo-pooed at the party for having a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> you know, be like, I don't think, that, I just don't feel like that's a realistic scenario. I do think, though, if you were to be at a social party and sitting alone, not talking to anybody, not engaging with anybody at the party, people would be like, why is he at the party? I think yeah. that if you're going to bring the switch, you should have a game that others can play with you. Cause that, that's also a benefit of the switch. You have multiple controllers attached to it, things like that. So like I say, if you're going to bring it, embrace it and use it and like bring it to the to party, like have fun with it. But um, I also think if you feel socially anxious and you want to play a game, play a game. Like it, it just depends on how you want to approach it. All right. Well, to sum up that then, uh, inmate 5580, uh, people play their switch on airplanes when traveling and really any other situation that they can bring a portable console with them and they don't have anything to do. So we think there are a ton of situations that this is very useful. And uh, on to our next question. This one comes in from user grapefruitprudent385. And the question is, protocol for no-shoes in-house houses. And this is for people who in their houses don't wear their shoes in the house. What if your guests aren't wearing socks? Do you expect them to walk around in your house barefoot? Or should people always have a pair of socks with them and them just in case? What's the protocol? Uh, definitely support wearing shoes in our house just because... We got nothing to lose. <laughs> um, but I think this is a really interesting question because it really depends on culture to me, too. Um, like my dad is from India and you don't wear shoes in the house. You actually take them off. And most of the times you're wearing sandals. So you're not actually wearing socks either. Um, and it's just kind of like a natural thing to go around barefoot. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's like the whole socks and th and shoes and things um, might be more of a concern here in the U.S., but I just know that from my f upbringing of, like, people kind of got used to just, you never wear your shoes in the house. Yeah, I never, like, growing up, there was never shoes in the house, and, like, we 
I, I feel like I keep my floors clean, so ideally somebody's not going to be wearing shoes in the house. I think that's the bigger issue, too. I mean, I think that most people's feet, I mean, you know, like, I don't know. How dirty are your feet, really, when you go to your friend's house? Like, does it really matter? And I actually think that shoes are, it's really bad to bring shoes in the house be, to, because they, you know, shoes are what you walk around outside in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that means you can be walking in anything and you don't, you know... It makes sense that, um, you know, if you're wearing shoes, then by default, your feet are probably not that dirty. And uh, if they are, I mean, I think that it's more of a I think that it's more insulting to walk around somebody else's house with your shoes on that are dirty, that you've walked around in the grass and the mud and whatnot with. than take off your uh, shoes and just have your feet there. But I think that. I think that, uh, so I think that it's, I I think that it is a better idea to take off your shoes and keep them. I do not think you should wear shoes in the house. And I think that, uh, socks are great for, uh, not revealing how disgusting your feet actually are. I read a headline recently that was recommending not to use, um, shoes in the house. And I think the headline was something like they're covered in feces and forever chemicals and, that's actually, um, oh, you know, yeah, but... <laughs> sort of what Josh is getting at is that you've got all these like unsanitary residues um, on your shoes from being out in the world. And it's just not good to bring all that in the house and kind of track it around. So like um, we don't wear shoes in our house. And whenever I visit somebody else's house, like I always kind of actively try to read the room and figure out are people taking off their shoes or not and in some cases like if you're at like a party or something like maybe you don't take off your shoes but like it's a contextual thing again I guess whenever is it not um but like I would want to read the room and make sure that I'm not disrespecting somebody's home so I think my default is to take off my shoes regardless if I'm not wearing socks or not um and as far as the uh, part of this question that's asking, do you expect them to walk around your house barefoot? I think that like if the norm is to take your shoes off, going barefoot's okay. And the user doesn't need to like worry about like, you know, carrying around socks unless they're yeah. embarrassed about I, their feet. It's, you I know? feel it's like a self-conscious thing about yeah. their feet maybe because – I don't I think most people who would prefer you don't wear shoes probably don't mind your bare feet. And if you're self-conscious about your bare feet, you could always carry an extra pair of socks with you to kind of, uh, you know, resolve that issue for yourself. You could also get a pedicure. Ten out of ten would recommend. (laughs) I mean, I my my mom would always carry either little slippers or like socks um, Uh anywhere she went. I have a lot of friends that also like have I this is probably kind of weird but like my friend has like a basket of these like um you know just house kind slippers. of throwaway slippers yeah yeah house slippers that's yeah. like a so in Japanese culture people have house shoes and they have house shoes for their guest yes I that I think that's a really cool idea like I, I almost seeing that I almost feel like I would want to have house slippers at my house but my feet kind of sweat a bit so I make the slippers all sweaty I do have a pair of house shoes that I'm like, they have like a rubber bottom, but they're slippers and I use them in the house. Um, And I'll use them like if I go on my porch or something, but not anywhere beyond that. Um, I like house shoes. I'm full support of that. Mm -hmm. Agreed. But I do think that default is take your shoes off when you get into somebody's house. It's just the proper way to go, unless otherwise noted. It sounds like we all pretty much agree here that generally you shouldn't wear shoes inside. And if there um, is a no shoes policy, yeah, probably barefoot is what you'd be expected. And bring extra pairs of socks with you if you are worried about that. Um, so I think that covers that question and, um, we'll be back after this short break. The next question, um, 
Sometimes questions on Reddit don't get any responses, and as is our duty, we're going to take it up on ourselves to provide the first answer to this question. And this comes in from user Scandisom. And the question is, are people who live in urban environments less happy than people who don't? I would need some data on this one. I agree. I think there is data on this one. So maybe this is a homework question. Well, I I, I guess maybe there's some, you know, you could pull out some statistic or number, but mm-hmm. but I, I don't think that necessarily people who live in urban or rural environments are less happy or more happy just solely based on that. Yeah. As a person who has spent, spent significant time in both, I'm pretty confident that's not the case. I've, I lived next to a farm growing up and I've lived in varying size cities and maybe some individual people have decided that they like one or the other, but I don't think happiness comes down to just a sole factor like that. Um, some people like me like the amenities and entertainment of urban areas where others prefer the space and separation in more rural areas. The quiet of the rural areas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the stars. Um, <laughs> so this question to me is getting at like maybe a lifestyle question mm-hmm. um, is kind of hidden in this in this uh, question about, you know, city versus rural environment. And so to me, like that makes me think of a study that I read, um, like a psycho- psychological study um, or sociology. I don't remember which one, but anyways, um, and they're. Um, basically saying that like happiness is this question of like, how much money do you need to be happy? Um, and the answer to this question ended up being around like 150 ish thousand dollars. This is, I'm paraphrasing this. I might be a little off, but anyways, and they found the researchers found that above this like level of around a hundred thousand dollars, people weren't much happier um having more necessarily and i think that it like is a lifestyle thing so i think that if you can afford the place that you're living in whether or not it's rural area or if it's a city environment i think that that actually might be more um i guess um definitive for whether or not you're going to be or a marker of your whether or not you're going to be happy there so I think that like when I'm thinking about this question, it's like a question about lifestyle and do I have enough money to live the lifestyle that I want? And that is going to kind of determine what environment I'm in. And this is, uh, this is best described by a line from Kanye West. Um, having money ain't everything. Not <laughs> having it is. <laughs> True. I think that it's impossible um, to generalize with this question. I mean, it's going to be yeah. so variable. I mean, that, I think at the same time, that's that that is not to say that it's just totally a wash because there are data about this kind of stuff out there. Um, yeah, I just think that another sticky point is like, how do you define what happiness is? And even right. if you had everybody like self-report honestly to the best of their ability, like the results of that still might be a crapshoot. You know, like mm-hmm. what, like what you know i mean you might not even know what you need to be happy in the first place right so like how can you then make a decision it's just and it's not to say that that researchers haven't tried to uh you know look at this just like the study jessica brought up um the number i seem to remember from years ago that uh that i remember seeing in a similar study was that it's like after it's like the people people's happiness people get diminishing returns on their happiness once they start to make more than forty thousand dollars a year but i think i think that you know that's gonna be like but that was from a study from like i think 15 years ago or something so right you're looking at a very different environment um but yeah like even you have to really think about what is you know there is no city that's just a generalized city there's no average city Every city is a local place. Every place has its own history. For some people, moving out into the country might be a really big status symbol that they're able to get out of the city that they're from. Mm-hmm. It's completely the opposite for people who yeah, are right. in other places. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would say that it's hard to generalize. It's um, it's like a personal question. It like, is. A, yeah, think I was about just what you that. like. Try out both if you can. Um, 
I mean, I, I tried out living in a super large city and I did not, I, I moved away from there cause it wasn't for me, but I'm, I, but I also don't want to live in a super rural area. I grew up like that and I do not want to live like that. I prefer like stuff, you know, amenities and entertainment being really close, but I think it really is a very kind of personal question and yeah, I don't think there's a definitive answer. And some things you won't find living in a place unless you live there for a very long time, you mm-hmm. know? So um, it's really it's really hard to say. You you might come across a scenario in a place, where, you know, a scenario that you had never encountered before, and it might make you realize, oh, actually, I kind of hate this place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because, yeah. like, you know, it's just, and I'm speaking in very general terms, but... I mean, yeah, I can just tell you from my personal experience that going between all these various places, um, it's hard to tell sometimes when I think about the past and I think about, was I, did I really enjoy living in that place or was I just telling myself that I liked living there because like I had good friends or I liked the things I was doing in my daily life or whatnot? How much was it? I guess what I'm saying is place, uh, I don't know, place might be a, uh, it's hard to tell if place is even a is even a reliable variable. Sure. Um, user Scandisom, uh, if you're like trying to pick between two places, please send me them, and I will use the internet to arbitrarily tell you which one is better. <laughs> Can I actually weigh in one last time? Go for it. So just like um, a quick search, it sounds that like researchers have found that people that live in um, uh hold on wait okay i'm getting mixed mixed um results here i i searched the answer to this question and it says that in some studies people that live in cities tend to have higher levels of happiness but other studies have found the opposite yeah it's complete (laughs) it's a it's a wash i looked it up too (laughs) i think this defaults back to me looking on the internet and deciding between two places I, I, yeah, I think place is an input into your happiness, but not everything. Um, but I do think there's a lot of these. I was looking up um, the urban-rural happiness difference through the World Happiness Report. I saw that one, too. And there's actually this interesting – they kind of, like, um, broke it down by different types of, um, I don't know, factors – And there's Mm -hmm. things around economic situation, which you talked about, economic optimism, education, health, social capital. Mm -hmm. I think safety is a huge one. Where do you feel safe? Um, And what does safety mean for you? Uh, Demographics, like migrants. So there's like all these different kind of uh, factors that I think go into it. And even small, like Factors that you might not think of as much, like water and air quality and the public infrastructure that's around you. So it's mm-hmm. there's just a lot that goes into what are you really looking for and, and how would you rate those things as importance for you? Um, but again, I think place is one element, but not really what will drive your happiness. I also think it's a generational thing, too. I think that like this answer becomes different as you age you know so like maybe people are happier in cities at certain life stages and happier in smaller cities or rural areas in a different life stage so i think that like it just changes over time too so um that's another factor to consider i guess when answering this question uh scandy sam i hope we've shed some light on this question for you Okay, so our next question comes in from user Lima Emsa. Question, have you ever been close to tragedy or been close to folks who have? Have you ever felt a pain so powerful or so heavy that you collapse? So I can tell you from my personal experience that I have been close to various traumatizing events. And uh, yes, uh, in my personal opinion, it is it is impossible to live a life where you don't experience uh, tragic events at some point or are close to them Uh, and it's something that uh, um, we all have to learn to deal with in our own ways have you ever knocked on wood before i've never had to knock on wood but i know someone who has i wonder if i could 
<laughs> Hope I never there have to. Though. So if you don't already know, this question is actually the beginning lyrics to the song, The Impression That I Get by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. And I, I took this, I picked this one out because I, the whole thing about knocking on wood, I, I never understood that. I mean, so you guys do actually like in real life, you've knocked on wood before as like a superstition. I say it probably many times, 30 times a yes. day. You mean you're not a, a Mighty Mighty Boston's fan? Oh, you know, like Third Wave Ska? From- <laughs> For me, it's more of a Christian thing. Like, I'm really... My mom always used to correct me when I would knock on wood. She would say, you're baptized. You don't need to knock on wood. Jesus Christ is your Savior. <laughs> so that's interesting, because I actually looked some stuff about, about this. And it says, the superstition stems from the, an old pagan belief that spirits live in trees. Mm-hmm. And if you knocked on the tree, you were seeking the help from the good spirits or making sure the bad spirits couldn't hear you and cause you harm. Oh. Yeah. I have heard that before. Wow. And I, I do I knock on wood all the time. I do too, yeah. So I specifically try to not knock on wood because I have like a personal problem with like doing old superstitious or old phrases that don't actually make sense in a modern context. So I try to avoid doing it just mm. as a on principle. But I, I do I not. Always... <laughs> I like to do all the weird stuff. <laughs> Yeah, give me all this. If it's gonna help me, that's awesome. (laughs) My mom used to say things like, "Say a little prayer to like Saint Anthony or like whatever saint." Like that, she would like when you lose something, like you're supposed to like say a little prayer, you know. So like, I remember a lot of like those little um, interjections of uh catholicism i guess like into into my life and um but also some of these other things like knocking on wood like i'm sure my mom always did that as well yeah my my mom's favorite one was always saint jude the patron saint of lost causes oh (laughs) so it's like whatever whatever you're going through like you know, if it's like nobody else cares about what you're going through, like nobody else cares that you lost your car keys, like it's a yeah, lost. Yeah, I'm cause. sorry you feel that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. I guess I misunderstood how we got from <laughs> the question to this. I don't understand the connection to the superstition. <laughs> well, because that's the song. I okay. never had to knock on wood. The song is it's knock like- on wood. No, the, the song's a... called The Impression That I Get, but like the line after the first two is, the the chorus is, never had to knock on wood, but I know someone that has. Oh. Like it, it's, and it's about it's about the unavoidableness of tra- tragedy in your lifetime. So he's saying he fears the day that he has to deal with the tragedy is kind of what mm-hmm. it, it revolves around. The lyric is saying, have you ever been close to tragedy or close to folks who have? And so like, Something that I learned, um, one of the um, questions they ask you to assess if you've been through a traumatic experience or if you're experiencing like um, PTSD or like things like that is if you've known somebody that was going through a tragedy of their, you know, like your mom or like somebody close to you. And like that can actually be traumatizing to you even when you don't personally experience it. And I never knew that that was like clinically a marker of um, the experience of trauma before. Um, And I never connected that um, real world thing to like this like song that um (laughs) you know and actually just like really like kind of gave me an aha moment about like why this is a great song all right well thank you for your question uh lima emsa and our next question on a music related note comes in from user kyle icp 420 (laughs) (laughs) I'm down for this. Our next question is from Kyle ICP420. Is Nickelback really that bad? I'll just say for my part, Nickelback really is not that bad. How You Remind Me is a classic of American rock that really, and I want to, I also, I also think about this a lot. My, my recollection is when How You Remind Me came out, everybody loved Nickelback. And it, yeah, it was, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah, I feel like they got dragged far more than they deserved. Yes, they they got it got. I remember the like the I think the 
the next like the next album came out or whatever and it i remember it being started to turn it was i remember thinking it was kind of corny like it was it didn't sound like good music it almost sounded kind of like a joke at that after that at a certain point um but they the the reputation is just like it's so crazy how it followed them forever though yeah, it it just like built over time. Like it's like slowly built and it's a I, running joke. Yeah, it, it became like a meme and that's when it took off. Yeah. Dragging Nickelback became a viral thing that everyone just did. And like when you think about it in the context of them being actual people, <laughs> kind yeah, of fucked it sucks. up. Yeah, it sucks. But I mean they also like sell out shows everywhere, so I I don't know that there's some people like them. I'm not, and I'm not saying I love Nickelback, but I feel like they just really got assaulted for years for no reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they were the label they signed to, at least for, you know from what I had known, they signed to like a metal label, and that's mostly metal bands. And then they signed to them, and they brought in a bunch of money, but they were on this metal label. So pe- that's the hatred started there. Um, uh, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so, so it was like metalheads at first that were like, this is like, why are they on our label? Lori, do you like Nickelback? You know, I can get down with Nickelback every now and again. <laughs> if it pops up on a, on, on like in my car or something. Yeah. And the thing is, is we probably know most of their songs. So I, I don't think that they can be classified. I, honestly, I think if you like it, you like it. So if you like Nickelback, you like Nickelback. You just have to also know that it's coming with some some funny slack that will come at you. You just have to stand your ground and be confident in what you like. But um, who who really is a serious Nickelback fan? That's though? what I was just about like, to ask. I like, bet who's, there are. There has to be. I'm sure there are. Like diehard like, Nickelback fans. Do you think like, that? But I want to know. They, yeah, if but, you're a big Nickelback fan listening, please write us in and tell us. Yeah, about if it. this is your favorite. Yeah, if you're rating Nickelback as your favorite band, like let me see the light. I don't think they're, <laughs> they're that bad. And I agree with Josh. Like this is how we, you remind me. Is like I think that's a great song. I don't like their other other songs but that's like that song is just like a it's just a great like pop rock song at this point like um and it yeah i want to know like people unironically did love it when it came out right oh totally i I wasn't just like an unaware kid who just like liked whatever he heard on the bus like that was a real thing people did like that song (laughs) yeah and it's like i think it's like actually a good song yeah um uh guilty pleasure at this point right but yeah i want to know i want to meet like the people that are like die hard nickelback fans because like everybody every band you would presume has like their die hard fans where it's like somebody's favorite band like and i want to know i want to know who's nickelback i actually i actually saw nickelback live one time Oh, um, nice! It was it was at the Detroit Lions Thanksgiving Day football game, oh. and Nickelback was the halftime show. Wow! And they got booed. Oh like, my god! Maybe like the world should be turning a new leaf for Nickelback and kind of like I don't know, absolving them. I'm looking at this article that's like ten reasons why Nickelback gets so much hate, and they do talk about like the record company, um, but they also talk a little bit about how Nickelback hasn't really defined the genre that they're in, mm-hmm. and they haven't really like they kind that's of a kept... bullshit reason. <laughs> They've kind <laughs> of. Um compose songs according to the genre that's in fashion so they're kind of wishy-washy it seems like this is according to metalheadcommunity.com yeah they're just they're pop music such a fucking cop out like oh they don't make music to my specific like and do you know what it sounds like it sounds like something a metalhead would say (laughs) they don't they they, they haven't made like a genre defining album so like they're not good music it's like that's too it's too strict, it's too restrictive. Yeah. yeah. It's elitist and I think that like Nickelback should be allowed to just make like pop music. I don't see them as like like I mean they're doing like rock music, but it's like really at this point it's like pop music more than it is anything else. Like it's in the popular culture, like mainstream music, which I think can be pretty much any genre and still be pop music. That's my personal opinion. Somebody can fight me on that, I guess. 
Yeah, I feel like it's our job to to like let other people like the things that they like. I, I I just I feel like we put so much judgment on. Oh my gosh, you like Nickelback? Like, if they like it, they like it. That makes them happy. Let them be happy. Like I I I don't know, but I do think that there's a lot of invention and reinvention that happens over time. And we just watched um, a show. I think it was the music that made us, and it was all about T Pain. I don't know if. If anybody out there has oh, seen I saw this, that. I saw that episode, but like, it's a very similar. Why do people hate T-Pain? And like, it, they talk all about autotune, but really he like transcended a whole new sound of music, which is insane. Right. So yeah. I think we need to be more supportive of each other and be more open to trying new things. And that's really hard because we get very stuck into the ways that we think. Yeah, don't be so quick to jump on the hate bandwagon, I guess, is my end thing here. Without Agreed. without without understanding exactly what you're getting into. Yeah. Like, ha- you can be critical of things, but don't just jump onto a hate bandwagon because everybody else hates Nickelback. You will definitely hear me rocking out to Nickelback at a summer barbecue, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's got its time and place. It does, it does. All right, so... On to our last question for this week. Um, how do you get out of those steep hill parking spots in San Francisco? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you guys can provide some answers to this because I have never parked in San Francisco. Yeah, and really, I, I'm really the only person that's qualified, as far as I know, to po- talk about it in this group <laughs> because Lori does make me drive in San Francisco all the time. Okay, but I can do it. <laughs> You, you can, you can do it. But. I am capable. I do not choose to do it. I have the ability to delegate. Yeah. <laughs> the secret for me is to use the, really engage the brake as often as possible. And uh, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to prime the engine a little bit as you're going up the hill. Um, Wait, what does that mean? It just means like really slam on the, on the gas for just like a second <laughs> Like while you're on a steep incline uh, and it will just, just, just pump the gas a little bit, even though, you know, like the amount of of pressure you're exerting on the accelerator is not going to result in a very big movement because you're on such a steep incline, but don't be afraid Mm to rev the engine and uh, test that rev with your brake. And especially as you're pulling into the, pulling into your parallel parking spot, um, you just need to have the foot. You just need to have that fancy footwork on the brake and the accelerator the whole time. And mm. also, once you park, 100% engage the parking brake if you're on a hill. And make yeah. sure it, and, and turn the wheel and turn the wheels in a direction that if your car gets pushed out of its position or something, it's not going to be. Um, how is what? What is it that you're supposed to do, Lori? You probably want it to roll back towards the curb. Yeah, you, you want it to hit turn the your, curb. You, you turn your wheels away from the curb because you want it to roll back towards the curb. What? Yeah. Because if, if it's going to... Okay, if you're on a hill and then your parking brake goes out, your car's going to roll backwards. So you want to turn your wheel towards the road away from the curb because then if it goes backwards, it's going to go towards the curb. Yes. I don't yeah. know, man. I feel like I... <gasps> That I feel like I do accurate. it the other way. I always turn. I feel uh, like I turn my these, wheels. Uh, just for these answers are not binding, so we're not <laughs> responsible for any cars you may hit. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> accurate, though, because you want basically if all else fails and your car starts rolling, you want the the curb to act as your brake. You're using the curb as a physical barrier to make sure that your car right. does not roll away. And I do believe that you're moving your wheels you turn them all the way to the left if you're parking parallel parking on the right because then it's like putting you into the position towards the curb Mm -hmm. so i definitely agree with that Um, so uh josh the other part of this question said for leaving a spot because the uh the user said the second I take my parking brake off, I feel like my car is going to roll down and hit the car behind me. So, I mean, you, you apply the brake right when you take right. You apply, like, your foot brake. Right. So, I think it's like you can't hesitate, I guess, when you're about to leave the spot. You just kind of have to have confidence in it. It is, it is true. No, it is true that I, I did have to learn that, okay, like, um, I, I really can't 
when I first, when I first started driving on uh, hills and stuff like that out here, I definitely learned that, okay, I have to be mentally prepared to really go for it. Like I can't just casually turn the car on and take mm-hmm. off or, or what have you, because it does require a lot of coordination to make sure that, you know, that your car doesn't roll into another or whatnot. So use the brake, turn your wheels and make sure to be prepared to drive and encounter whatever obstacles you're going to encounter. Yeah, I I am a timid driver. That's usually why I make Josh drive. I don't <laughs> I am also very distracted when I drive, but I have had to park on these hills multiple times and I think the three biggest things for me always remember gravity's on your side. So when you're pulling forward, um and and you're like going up the hill you're always going to have to put more gas than you actually think you need and it's not going to have as big of a reaction as you think you need so that is where the confidence comes in trust yourself definitely turn your wheels also if your wheels are turned that way even when you do start your car and your parking brake you're turning off your parking brake do keep your foot on the brake but If something happens, you'll hit the curb before you'll hit a car behind you. And then the third thing for me is just make sure that you you get set up before you're ready to go. I think that's one of the biggest things for me is like, okay, I'm in the car. I put my things away. I am focused Mm -hmm. on this action of leaving this parking spot. Um, And just make sure that you do turn your wheels back the other way, um, because that could also fluster you if you haven't done that. Okay. Well, um, I hope that helps with your situation. And um, I'm sure you'll get better at it with practice over time. And uh, that does it for our questions this week. Uh, send us your questions or thoughts to our email, no stupid answers podcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NOSA podcast. That's at N O S A underscore podcast. Um, if you like what we're doing here, the best way to help us out is to uh, rate us five stars on your podcasting app. Um, and if you would share the podcast or let other people know about it, that's really the best way to help us out. And uh, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. And we'll see you next time. Bye, all.